This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. But if you have your Bible on you, we are going to go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7. That's going to be our starting point this morning. It's the second week of Advent. Uh, Christmas is fast approaching. Um, I should, we should do a name and shame now, really, shouldn't we? What are we for, is it 4th of December today? 4th of December, who hasn't got their decorations up? Oh, wow. Has, has anybody watched The Grinch of those that... Well done, Corrie. Those that have their hand up, if you haven't watched The Grinch, I suggest you watch it. Right? Oh, there we go. Oh, Willie, The Grinch will be there on Thursday. Let's hope we don't steal Christmas. Um, but I think you should definitely have your decorations up by now. And I only say that from a position this year because we've got ours up, all right? Normally, we wait until after Jack's birthday. It's his birthday on the 9th. We normally wait till after then. But we asked Jack, and he was like, yeah, let's please get the decorations up. So we put the decorations up. Or we're still putting the decorations up. Anybody else like that? We're, in, we're a week into putting our decorations up. Listen, all I did was get the trees out of the box, yeah? And Lola's, she is on day seven, week number two, commencing tomorrow, of putting the decorations up. I know, imagine having to take them down. Yeah. We've got cushions at our house that I'm not allowed to sit on. That's all I'll say, all right? Tea towels that I'm not allowed to use. You know the kind. Anyway... So uh, decorations do take a long time, but never mind. But Christmas is an incredible time of year, especially for the church, that we celebrate the birth of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we're going to see this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. I believe it's on the uh, decorations in front. Emmanuel, God with us. So that is our starting point. So Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Don't you find that incredible? As we see Isaiah prophesying here that God is going to be with us, Emmanuel. That's what it means. And I often wonder, when I read through certainly the Old Testament prophets, whether they had any idea what was actually going on. Anybody else think like that? How, how could they possibly conceive in their minds what this was about? How could Isaiah know and understand what God was revealing to him here? That therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and you'll give birth to a son, you'll call him Emmanuel. The Old Testament prophets, if only they knew what they were really declaring. I mean, in this one verse alone, there are two seemingly impossible things, aren't there? First, know that Isaiah didn't say a woman or a young woman, but a virgin. 
There's no mistake in then, Emmanuel, God with us, and that's the second seemingly impossible thing. When he arrives, we can't mistake it because he's coming to planet Earth via a virgin birth. And this prophecy then would be absolutely unmistakable when, forward slash, if it occurred, right? It would be unmistakable. Now, when we see things like that in the Word, and perhaps somebody shares something with us, we think that's going to happen pretty quick, yeah? God said, let's hope it happens fast, eh? When you pray and you say, Lord, I need your help with this, and we expect that to happen in the morning, bare minimum. Listen, some 700 years later... Some 700 years later, and I'll touch on that as we go through this morning, but we get Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Nazareth, eh? Do you remember that guy who said nothing good can come from Nazareth, can it? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant, just so happens, of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We can sometimes be fearful of good news, can't we? We can be fearful of good news. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Just like Isaiah said. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. If you're an underliner or a highlighter of your Bible, not everybody is. But if you are, that is one to highlight. For no word from God will ever fail. And the church said, Amen. No word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled and then the angel left it. Church, the impossible then is about to happen. This young woman, a devout Jewish girl, is pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, what we can't do is just skip over that as though that's all normal. You see, there's reality in what we're saying here because we've ticked three boxes so far that Isaiah has already talked about 700 years prior to this event. 
A virgin, a devout Jewish girl, pledged to be married to a man whose lineage just so happens to be of David. You remember the one whose kingdom will last forever, and you'll see that in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16. The throne of David will last forever. Church, I know, because they buried him, David's dead. That's the reality. So what's God talking about? What was he talking about then? What is he now talking about here? He's talking about a throne that's going to last forever. From the line of David, there will come a Messiah who will be Emmanuel, who will be God with us. Mary, she wasn't of the lineage. David was. And it matters because that keeps exactly as God has called it, that the lineage is of David. And now then, Joseph and Mary, who are pledged to be married, who are yet to consummate the wedding, now we have a situation where a virgin is going to give birth to a child. The impossible really is happening. Have a look at verse 31 and verse 32. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. It's incredible, isn't it? And really, when I've had a look at this, and I've looked at it over, oh, you look at it every Christmas, don't you? I hope you do. We do as a church, so if you come along, you've listened to it more than once. But you see, the reality is that Mary asked the question, she's perplexed at the situation, as you would be. Good word, by the way. Good in Scrabble as well, perplexed. Those of you that play, perplexed is a great word, but she would be absolutely and utterly perplexed. She would not know what is going off. And naturally, she asks, well, the most obvious question. Who, who asks the most obvious question? I, I, we usually do, don't we? And the reason for that is, much like Peter, as we see throughout the New Testament, we tend to say what comes straight into our head, don't we? And, and she asks the most obvious question. Verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. You see, at this point, she's not gone, who are you? <laughs> she's not gone, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? God, God with us. You're trying to say that the Messiah, God in flesh, He's coming to planet Earth. You're trying to say that God, who said this 700 years ago through the prophet Isaiah, is now fulfilling this prophecy that this girl, this Jewish girl, has been looking forward to, well, her entire life. No, she's like, how on earth can this be since I'm a virgin? You see, the most obvious question isn't always the right one. And yeah, it's an obvious question, and she is in that sense right to ask it. But the reality is, what's about to happen in these moments is quite literally life-changing. Amen? These moments that we're about to see that are going to unfold for us, God willing, over the next few weeks on the lead-up to Christmas, these are life-changing events. Not just for Mary, not just for Joseph, but for you and me. These are life-changing events that change the course of history. Romans 3.23 that I quote so regularly and I hope it's absolutely seared into your minds. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I ask the question also so regularly, who is in the all? Well, we all are, aren't we? 
We're all in the all. So that means we all need a saviour. We all need a saviour. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are all in need of a saviour. So that means at that point that our entire existence is on a route that we could not divert. We are going to a Christless eternity. Adam made that choice for us. And don't think, well, he didn't get a chance to make my choice. What about my choice? You would have made the same one. How do you know, Matt? Because you made the same stuff. And so am I. I'd have made the same choice as well. Wrong. Because that's what we do. And we are all in the position where we have all sinned. And our life was heading towards a Christless eternity. But listen, God interjected into history. He said it 700 years prior. He said, I'm going to send my son, God with us, Emmanuel. God has said, I'm going to get off my throne. I'm going to dress in human form. And I'm going to come and save sinners like you. I am going to come and rescue you. But God, I don't even know you. To be honest, I'm not even interested. And God said, I love you enough. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his one and only son. That he says, look, I love you enough, even though you don't know me, you're not interested, you don't love me, but I love you enough to send my very best. God in flesh. And Mary asks the question, the, the one that comes straight to her mind, how can this be? But listen, the reality of what's going off in these verses is just beyond our comprehension. That God was going to come to planet Earth and he was going to live the life that we couldn't in order to save sinners like you and me. Is that not the most incredible news? That we are loved enough by the creator of heaven and earth for him to take your place on the cross. That he would bear the punishment that you deserve. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And I've often asked the question, and I'm going off my notes a little bit here, but it's worth just saying I've often asked the question, why? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Listen, without blood, there's no life, is there? Without blood, there's no life. God used the blatantly obvious. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Listen, without his blood, there is no life. Amen? Amen. Without his blood, there is no life. And we are here as Christians, if you've accepted Christ as Saviour, because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We are here because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will be called, as the word says, great, son of the most high, who will reign on David's throne forever. His kingdom will never end. Listen, what I've also noticed, perhaps that I've, I've picked out, maybe not picked out, I can't always remember, that Joseph was really an integral part of the story, wasn't he? Sometimes we just sweep over Joseph and we'll have a look at Joseph next week because I think Joseph has a right story to tell. But the reality is that Joseph had an incredible and an important part to play as, as his account shows us we're going to see. For perfection to come, everything had to fall into place perfectly. Well, of course it did. If you want everything to be perfect, you've got to make the plans perfectly. Have you not? For the perfect to happen, 
Mary has received her angel visit. Joseph, her fiancé, he's yet to have been informed. Poor lad. He's going to need some bringing round. And God willing, we'll see that next week. But in the midst of the story, there was a 700-year gap. And I want to ask us this morning, what are we doing with the 700 years? I've asked the question to God, why wait so long? Why wait so long? For the prophecy to turn into reality. Why wait so long? But you see, timing is everything. The Roman Empire is in full throttle. And they were absolute perfectionists in torture and murder. That is what they did. Hence why they ruled the world, because everybody was petrified. And timing is everything. Because Jesus needed to spread out his arms for you and me in order to make a way from death to life. He needed to show that he was the bridge, the gap, that he would make the difference so that I could come through Jesus to God. I could step from death to life. I could step from darkness, as we've heard this morning, into light. Jesus needed to spread out his arms for you and for me. And as he did that, the temple curtain was torn in two. And we were able to come then into the presence of God. Because of you? No. Because of me? Not one bit. But because of what Christ has done. Amen? Amen. Because of what he has done for, for us. Because of his perfect blood. His perfect sacrifice. So there we see that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is absolutely on point. God showed Mary was going to be the vessel. Joseph was the lineage and Bethlehem was the town. God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, let's leave those 700 years and we say, okay, God, you had your time. What about now? The ascension, as Jesus went up into heaven, happened a while ago. I don't know whether you've noticed. God, why on earth are you leaving it so long? For Christ to return. Listen, as the church, we have an expectation that every day that we set our feet on the floor, that we say, God, is today the day? Is today the day? And I wonder whether you've ever asked the question... Why, God, is it taking so long? And I've thought about this. And I've worked out the answer. You ready for this? Well, the answer's you. The answer's you. God, why are you taking so long? Well, because, Matt, you've got friends and family that don't yet know me as Lord and Saviour. There are people in here that don't yet know Christ as their own personal saviour. The Bible is really clear and says to us that God is willing that none should perish. Have a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. The Lord, uh, 
the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Listen, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You remember Matthew 28? Go out into all the world and preach the gospel. God said, look, here is your opportunity. This is your time to share the good news about what Jesus has done. And we now are in a position where we, if we've accepted Christ as Saviour, have passed from death to life. That because of what Jesus has done, I've gone from darkness to light. And I have the opportunity then to share this good news. We have this opportunity to share this good news with people around about us. God is willing that none should perish. The answer, church, is you. That is why he has not yet come back. Because he is not willing that any should perish. He wants to give us as much time as possible in order to share the good news about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we're in a time of grace, being given what we do not deserve. Given the opportunity to share the good news. And today then could well be your day. It could be your opportunity. It should be your opportunity to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Please come into my heart and change me from the inside out. It's as simple as that. But the difference is life and death. The difference is life and death. We have the opportunity this morning to receive his love. That unconditional love. We have the opportunity this morning to receive his forgiveness. We have the opportunity this morning to receive life through Jesus. Amen. Church, the impossible has happened and his name is Jesus. He died in your place. He has dealt with your sin. He has risen again, defeating death so that you and I, if we put our faith and our trust in him, can have life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the very beginning of this Christmas story. Father, the account that changed the course of history, that you would send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take our place on the cross, that there he would deal with our sin and our shame. And Father, we thank you that as we know and understand, that as he dealt with our sin, as his blood was poured out for each one of us, Father, too, he dealt with death as he rose again, defeating death for us. So that, Father, as we put our faith and our trust in him, that we can come from death to life. Father, we can take hold of life that is truly life. And I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit might move, that lives might be changed. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict hearts and that people might give their life to you. And Lord, that you would encourage us as your church to continue to push forward in this time of grace to share the good news of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And at this Christmas time, that you would help us to show people what the reason is for everything that we're celebrating during this time. Bless us now, Father, we pray as we continue in our worship in Jesus' precious name.